And so today I want to talk about uh, Jesus and his ministry and what he's left for us. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the idea that uh, I was reading through Revelation 2. And there's a spot in Revelation 2 where Jesus is talking to a specific church and he says, you've ticked all the boxes, you do all the great stuff that you uh, hate the things I hate, you embrace the things that I embrace, but I have this one thing against you and that you've forgotten the love that you have at first. And I don't want us to be that church. I don't want us to be the kind of church that's really good at doing things, but we've forgotten the kind of love that we had for Jesus at the beginning. And many of you, you've been Christians for longer than I have. Maybe you've been Christians for longer than I've even been alive. And you can look back in your own life and you can look at yourself and look at when you first started out. Is your level of passion the same? Is my level of passion the same from when I became a Christian about 17 or 18 years ago? And so I don't want us to ever become the kind of people or the kind of church that moves on from that love that we had at first with Jesus. And so we're walking through over the next couple of weeks just talking about Jesus. And today I want to talk about the ministry that he left us. The first topic we talked about was what he came to do. And the second thing we talked about was how he did it. But then with this third point, I want to talk about what he wants us to do now that he's gone on to be with the Father. Now, Jesus, before he went back to heaven, he got together with his disciples and he had something really important to say. And this is Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And so Jesus comes to them and he says, I'm reading the scripture here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I want to pause there. If, if Jesus comes to you and, he's got to come, and he wants to say something to you and he starts off with the fact of, I am the king of the entire universe, Whatever he's going to say there, he probably really wants us to listen to. He's, he's showing off his, his authority here and saying, especially with the disciples where they followed him on earth, and then they've been through the crucifixion, they've seen the resurrection and the power of God. And then so Jesus is standing before them and he's saying, right now all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And then the next thing he says is, therefore... And I've always said, if you see a therefore in the scripture, back up, up, phone down, phone down. Rip more tape. Just don't tape the power button again, Luke. Or if we can like find something to stick it on, like a brick and just stick it on the amp, that's totally cool too. So I can see it start to lean on the live feed and it's dripping and dripping. Okay. So... Jesus says, therefore, in this scripture. So he says, all authority in the universe, spiritual otherwise, is mine. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And now this is what we call the Great Commission. And maybe you know it. He's saying, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And so the full mis- message that Jesus is saying here, you turned it off again, I think. <laughs> so the full message that Jesus is saying is not just go and make disciples. He's saying, because all authority is mine, because everything that exists is under my authority, You need to turn it on, go back into that app. Because everything that exists is under my authority. 
Because of this fact, we need to be making disciples. And so Jesus told many parables about the kingdom. When we get it up here, I'll get the camera working. Jesus told many parables about the kin kingdom. I'm really sorry about this disruption, but we want to make sure everybody at home is also able to join us. Tell me when it's up. So Jesus told a bunch of parables about the kingdom, and a couple of the parables he was talking about, they're called the parable of the talents. And sometimes in your translation of the Bible, it might just talk about it as like a quantity of money. It might say, he's given this person so much money, and he's given this person so much money, and this person so much money. And, but the weight of measure that they were using was called a talent. It was a, a weight of a valuable metal. And in that circumstance, uh, there's these two different parables, and they're both a little bit different, but they both share these same common features. And the first is that there's a manager who owns the funds, and he's giving them to his servants, and he's expecting his servants to do something with the funds. Tell me when the, the phone's on. And he's expecting to do something with the funds. And he's expecting these servants to do something. And that in each story, there's a person who does something. They take the, the money that they're given. And they bury it somewhere. And then when the manager comes back to collect on his profit, this person says, you know, this wasn't for you. You didn't work to do this yourself. That you don't deserve to profit from this. And in these stories, I want you to understand that person's the bad guy. He is the person who's making the wrong decision. He's the person who is uh, disobeying the master. And the people who obey the masters are the ones who are doing the right thing in this story. But I want you to understand something. We've always understood these two parables of the talents on how Jesus rewards us for our faithfulness. That if you serve more given the same amount then you will receive more. But if you serve less, you will receive less. But also, the other parable teaches us, now it should have that prompt on the screen now. The other parable teaches us that we can start with different amounts. And so there's things about, say allow, there's things about each story that we learn about, learn about how Jesus works with us. But there's one thing about this story we need to understand about how we're supposed to work with Jesus. And that is that he is the manager in this parable. That he is the one who has given the servants something to do. And their success, their faithfulness is marked by whether or not they're obeying him because of his authority. Looks like we're good. And it's in this context that, you know, Jesus is saying, I'm the manager here. I'm the boss. You work because... Everything that you have, all these talents that you have, the finances, the resources, all the stuff you have, it's mine. It's not just that I've given it to you, but I've given you my things. And that the other student servants understood this. They weren't doing their master a favor. They weren't being generous. They were doing the work that they owed him. And there's a difference between people who are in it when times are easy and people who are in it no matter what. It is really easy to serve God when you feel like you love him. It is really easy to have a good relationship with someone when you feel like you love that person. It's really easy to tell people about God and to serve God when you have tons of time to do it. 
But what about when serving God means sacrifice? What about when serving God, when telling people about Jesus costs you something? What about when we need to do what God wants us to do and it's hard? It's easy to give when we feel like giving, but what does the Bible ask of us when we don't? And I want to talk about Ephesians 2 here, and I want to give you the context of the verse. In Ephesians 2, Paul is taking some time and he's explaining to the people that once you were in sinfulness, once you did these things to serve your own nature and to serve yourselves, and how you used to follow the ways of the world and how they did things, and you used to gratify the desires of the flesh, and that you were by nature someone deserving of wrath. And so Paul's kind of clarifying it here. And he's saying that this is what you were, but that God came in and he turned everything around, and that it was fueled by his great love for us, and also from his great mercy. And so Paul goes through in Ephesians 2, and he talks about all the great things that God has done for us, how he's made us alive even when we were dead. He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, even though we've done nothing to deserve it. But then he gives a why. In Ephesians 2, verse 7, he says, In order that, so all the things that God has done for us, he's done them in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God does all these great things. He gives us life and he gives us a place to stay in heaven and he gives us a future and a hope. But he wants this whole process with us, everything that he's done to us and through us, he wants it to demonstrate the incomparable riches of his grace. So there's an expectation here. It's not that God is saying, I did this for you, so you need to do something for me in return. It's more like this, that if we appreciated and loved God as much as we do, we would want to give our lives to him. You know, that's a mark of real love. In every relationship, this is a mark of real love. If all you want is to receive from a person, is that real love? But if your love spurs you to want to give back, that's a mark of real love that I always use marriage as a great example of the relationship between us and God. And he even calls us his bride. And the truth is, is that in a marriage relationship, it's not a functional relationship if every person is in it just to get something from the other person. A functional marriage relationship exists when each person is there to give to the other person, when each person is there to take care of the needs of the other person that a real loving marriage relationship is one where your love spurs you to do something for the other person. But if all you want is you just want from this person and want from this person, that's not a real loving relationship. And it's the same thing with us and God, that God's not standing here and saying, you have to do this because I'm ordering you, though he can. He's saying, if you love me as much as you do, this is a mark of so Paul wants to remind us here that everything we have is from him. Everything that we are in him, it's all a gift and it all exists to show the world who he is. Specifically, it exists to show the world the riches of his grace and mercy towards us. You know, Paul says this right after this section, he says, for Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10, he says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. So he's disarming every argument we have that 
anything that God's done for us depends at all on what we've done. There's no space for that in the gospel. Everything that God has done for us, everything that he's done in us and through us, it has all been because he loves us and he's given us a gift. And we talked about that over the last couple of weeks. So there's no ground to say that we've earned it. There's no ground to say that we're better than other people because of it. And so in the context of that rich grace and mercy, Paul says we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he's saying, even our very status as children of God is not something we've earned, it's a gift. And with that gift, God is also setting us on a mission. God created and changed us, not just because he loves us, but also because he wants us to do good works. That is part and parcel with the salvation experience. Whenever we talk about being saved, we say, you know, once I was a sinner or once I was this kind of a person, but God saved me and he gave me eternal life and he gave me a home. When I became a Christian myself 17 years ago, I was at a youth retreat and I felt like a worthless person coming into this retreat. I felt like nobody loved me, least of all God. And the message through the whole weekend was God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And finally I realized that. And for years you could ask me, you know, what's your story with God? Well, once I was broken, once I was empty, but God came in and he filled me. But we're missing a little bit. Because God didn't come in just to rescue us. He came in to send us on mission. So I challenge you, your story should be, you know, once I was a sinner, but God saved me by grace. And now I have a job to do. Now I have something that I need to do for God. Because this is what he wants. You know, none of us are off the hook here. We're comfortable with the idea that God loves our obedience. We're happy to give when it's easy. We're happy, happy to serve when we feel like it. And we're glad to sacrifice when that doesn't mean that we go without. But there's a flip side I want you to understand this. That it's easy to do your duty when it's easy to do your duty. But when, God, when, it, when our job gets hard, we are not off the hook. That when it becomes sacrificial for us as a people and as a church to show the world the riches of God's grace, when we have to sacrifice things of ours to show the world God, we're not off the hook. That God still wants us to do that. And I want you to understand a few reasons behind why I'm talking about this. I think it's really easy to start off with the desire to serve God because we love him. That is like the defining mark of new Christians is they're just in this amazing, passionate love relationship with Jesus. But then, over the years, if we're not pushed, if we're not challenged to change and to focus on the outside world, we start getting comfortable in serving him. We start getting used to the routines and the things that we are used to. And then we start losing sight of this big why, that we haven't changed any of the stuff that we do but we start losing track of why we've been doing it. And this is Revelation 2. You do all the right things, but you've lost your first love. So we start getting comfortable. And this happens to every one of us, no matter where we are. We start getting comfortable if we're not pushing ourselves, if we're not constantly trying to excel and say, what's the next thing that God wants me to sacrifice? What's the next thing that God wants me to do? 
we start losing sight of this big why, that we serve God because he's the infinite God of the universe and that he deserves every second of our prayer and our service. And he's put us on a mission to show the outside world how awesome he is. You know, sooner or later, we start shifting our perspective from, I'm doing this because God deserves it. And here's the dangerous thing is we shift it into, I'm doing this because I'm generous. I'm sacrificing my time to show that I love God and to show how generous I am. And there's a really dangerous shift there. Then we start doing it less and less because there will always be challenges to your generosity and your time. One of the struggles as a, a youth pastor, and even now one of the struggles as a senior pastor is to get people to buy into service, to get people to buy into helping, to sign up for volunteer teams, to, to sign up for events, that sort of deal. And lots of people have spent lots of time trying to like chase other people and trying to motivate people to want to serve. And my perspective has always been this, that we make time for things that are valuable to us. And so if you're in your house and your house catches on fire, you're not going to be like, yeah, but I want to finish this movie. It's a really interesting movie. So give me like 45 minutes and then I'll leave. The, the, the fire in your house is your immediate thing. You're like, I have to handle this right now. It, over, it, over, it supersedes all of your priorities. So we, we give time to the thing that's most important to us. And when we start making the shift towards our own generosity, we're going to get a challenge to that. You're always going to have a good reason for why you shouldn't do what God wants you to do. Always. That's why they call it spiritual warfare. And so we start seeing our faith as primarily about what it does for us, how it makes us feel. We start seeing our church as an organization that exists to meet our needs because we've started focusing on ourselves. We've started saying, I'm here because I'm generous, not I'm here because God deserves it. And so God wants to build us a house. He wants to meet our needs. He's promised, you know, we have mansions for you up in heaven and he's here to build your house. But he's also here to build his kingdom. And that God wants to build you a house, but he wants you to build him a kingdom. And we focus too much on what God does for us, that we forget to spend time on what God does through us. We forget the mission because we spend too much time in the mansion. And secondly, maybe you haven't confronted this kind of reality of faith in your life. The idea that God has loved you and he's changed you and you're sitting in that and it's awesome and it's amazing, but you haven't really sat back and considered this fact that, that God is infinite and majestic and powerful and that he holds all authority everywhere and that this means that we need to do something. That he's asked us to do something and that we need to start taking that very seriously. Because in regards to our sinfulness, in regards to the broken side of ourselves, we desperately need to confront how badly we've fallen and how deeply God's forgiven us. If your concept of God is that he'll leave you if you mess something up, you, have, you don't understand even the beginning of God's love. That God loves us so much. I talked last week of, of this illustration in Isaiah where it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And it's not saying our sinfulness, it's saying the very best parts of ourselves are like filthy rags to God. And it's actually a really dirty word in the Hebrew. 
Like, it's awful. And we need to understand that when we come before God in a service, when we come before God and we try to tick all the right boxes, God doesn't respond because our righteousness has hit a level that it's, is acceptable to him. We're sitting here and we're rubbing together filthy rags. He comes because he loves us. So we need to confront that reality about God, that he's here because he loves us so much. But we also need to confront ourselves with how powerful God is and how much authority he has and how we really do need to serve him because it's the right thing to do. And here's the wonderfulness of it. This can be a really scary thing. When we're talking about change, when we're talking about challenge and sacrifice, it can lead us into places that we're not comfortable with, places that we're not familiar with. Even as we're talking with the service and how we're going to be, in order to respect the health unit, we're going to be doing this lack of singing and focusing on prayer. And to respect the health unit with the kids ministry, we're going to be talking a little bit more to them in, in service, that these will have changes to them and that will be uncomfortable. But the wonderfulness of God is that when we serve him, when he says so, and it's not comfortable for us, we'll feel the presence of the Spirit far more than we ever did trying to take care of ourselves. Because God is gracious. If we focus on us, God will still love us. He'll still take care of us. But he's got this entire side of himself that he also loves the rest of the world too. And we get a little bit of God when we focus on ourselves, and we get a lot of God when we focus on other people. When we spend time trying to, to save our, ourselves, when we, take, when we spend time trying to protect our lives, that can lead to destruction. And I'm not just saying this off the top of my head. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So do we want to find life? Or do we want to lose it? Because the Bible's priorities are clear. Trying to to make everything comfortable for ourselves is a great way to lose our life with God. But saying, you know what, God, I'm here for you and that I know you're the king and all authority is yours and I will do whatever you tell me, even if it's hard. We will find life and we will find life abundantly. And it makes sense why we default so much to a view of church and ministry that makes us comfortable because it's not wrong to want our needs met. That as much as I push that God wants us to sacrifice and God's not primarily concerned with just making us comfortable all the time, I go home and I lay in a bed that I make sure is comfortable enough for me. We bought some new pillows the other day because I'd like just compressed mine because my head weighs like 120 pounds, I guess. And so we went out, we got new pillows. And I'm, I'm one of the rollers at nighttime and I've got a bad leg and so I've got a pillow sometimes I'll grab and I'll stick it in my knee. And at night, I'm, I'm concerned with comfort. I want to be able to sleep. My children don't want me to be able to sleep, but I want to be able to sleep. And so taking care of our comfort, it makes sense. But what we miss is that by doing what Christ asked us to do, how he asked us to do it, when he asked us to do it, which is all the time, we'll experience a level of comfort and closeness with the Spirit that we never would have thought possible. All the most amazing ways that I have felt the Spirit move 
have been when I've stepped out of my comfort zone and done something new all the time. And this is the key of the experience with being a Christian is that even in laying down our lives, we can find them if we're looking for Christ. And I want us to do this more than just accidentally that people accidentally get ministered to as we get together and take care of us. I want it to happen more than just accidentally. I want it to be the very purpose that we get together is to show the world the incomparable riches of God's grace and mercy. This needs to be the primary driving force of an organization as a, like a church. The idea that we're here to show the world the riches of God's grace. And that the best way we can receive that grace while giving it out to other people is through this process of learning to give up ourselves for Christ. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But I want to pray right now. And if this has been something just totally new and totally radical to you, if you feel a challenge in you to do something more, I don't want you to put that down. I don't want you to forget about that. Because the Holy Spirit will speak. And we've heard the parable of the sower that the word gets spread out, but sometimes the enemy comes and just takes it. And so if you've got this, this like impression in you, whether you're here or you're at home, that you need to do something, I want you to reach out to me. You can drop me a message on Facebook. You can call the church. Uh, you can send me an email at john with no h at parklandchurch.ca. Uh, go to our website, whatever. We've got a hundred different ways to contact us, it feels like. I want you to reach out to me. Or I want you to reach out to another Christian that you trust and tell them, you know, this is what's on my heart. I want you to not let me forget this. I want you to not let this go away. And maybe if you're in this place where you've never even had that relationship with God and you feel that draw, you feel that idea that, you know, God loves you so much and that he wants to have this relationship with you and that he wants to give you a purpose in life and doing things that he has for you. Again, just reach out to us or reach out to another believer that you know. Because the worst thing that could happen is that if God drops some kind of new truth in your heart and you don't act on it, you take it by yourself and the enemy comes and snatches it away. Because it is so easy to just forget good things because we get so busy in life. So let's pray. God, thank you for today and thank you for this chance to just get together, God, whether we're at home or we're here. We just thank you that we finally figured out the tech through the middle of the service. And we thank you that uh, as we go forward, that you've still given us a mission, God. That you've still given us a thing to do as a church. You've still given us a, a place to serve in our community. And I just pray that for the people that you've reached anew, the people that uh, may have started a relationship with you. We thank you so much for that. And we just pray that they would reach out, that they would have the, the courage to speak to somebody else and get support and get just a family member to come alongside and help them through this process. And we also just pray for the people who feel challenged to do something new, to do something more. We just pray that you'd help them to not let the, that go, even though it may be scary, even though it may require change and sacrifice. We just pray that you'd show them how great and how rich your mercy is through that. And we pray again and again and again that you would just use us as a structure, as, a, as an organization called a church, to just show the world the riches of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.